Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan presents Matt Smith and Kyle Reese. Sometimes this song is the sign from the universe you need to just take it easy. Woosa. 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 There we go. Take a deep breath. Just, you know what? Just let it breathe for a second. Hey, speaking of uh, my girl, just shout out to the wives that uh, allowed their husbands to chill last last uh, Sunday on Father's Day. How was the nap? It didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. How was the seafood on the grill? That was excellent. I bet it was. That was I bet it was. Nap didn't I bet you were thinking about that nap while you were out there with that grill. I was a little comatose after the food, and I might have drifted, but it, it, it didn't. It wasn't like I was planning <laughs> at all. Hey, so the Avs made a move yesterday, acquired Ryan Johansson from Nashville in exchange for Alex Galchenyuk, who's essentially an AHL player. So virtually they gave up nothing to acquire another center for depth because J.T. Kopfer is most likely not going to be retained. He is a free agent, and there is mutual interest between the Blackhawks and Kompfer, who are allegedly eyeing to give him a raise. And that actually makes a lot of sense for Chicago. He's a you know he's an Illinois kid. He's going home, and I think that makes makes uh, it's a good fit for him because not only that he gets to go play with Connor Bedard, who's the number one overall draft pick on Tuesday when the NHL draft takes place. So is the NHL very similar to the NBA or maybe NFL in the regard that hey man I've checked this box I've won- my name's on the Stanley Cup cool good. Right. Well, now I get yeah. the money. Now I get to play for my hometown team. There's uh, there are certain things on the bucket list of an NHL player that now he gets to check another box. Right. The money, the cars, the clothes, all that good stuff. If you, you fill in the blank. Rapping on the you airway. fill in the blank. I didn't rap. I just was just <laughs> no, listing, was I was just listing a few things. Uh-uh. Um, uh, it was on beat, though. Yeah, or is, is well, it was about to be as possible. There was the, Dan brought this up to me yesterday. He asked me about the Nazem Kadri Bruce Brown comparison. I don't like that one. I think uh, uh, Bruce Brown is more of a comper esque player. But there's it, it's it doesn't matter if it's the NBA, the NHL, baseball, whatever. You're playing cricket. If there's generational wealth and life changing money, that's a possibility. Especially after you've already achieved the ultimate goal. Pretty hard to turn that down. There's a big difference for Bruce Brown re-upping with the Nuggets for a year at $7 million and going on the open market and getting paid four years 50 or whatever it's going to be. I actually heard the Mavericks are interested, which is a perfect fit for him. They desperately need a guy like Bruce Brown. That would be Dallas would be a great landing spot for him. It would be good for them. I don't know if it would be great for him. It would be perfect for him. It would be perfect for him. No, no, no. He's exactly what they need because he doesn't have to be the dude there. He just has to play his game, and he'll fit right next to Luka. I just think playing with Kyrie could potentially be a Well, I don't know that Kyrie's going to be in Dallas. I don't. Uh, Kyrie's unrestricted free agent, so we'll see where where Kyrie goes. Maybe he's in Dallas. I don't know. I still think at the end of the day, we're going to get the Woj bomb. Kyrie Irving signs with the L.A. Lakers, two years, $75 million. Yeah. And, and, and you know, potential to um, to start, right? Mm. Uh, there's there's an opportunity there for him yeah. to, to do that. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. And listen, man, you, you're a guy. You, want, you, you just help a team win a NBA championship. I don't want to be the sixth guy for the rest of my career, right? And I don't want that stigma attached to me either. Sure, 
Sure. Did, were you okay with letting him walk then? Not make. I mean, they can't really offer him a it's big deal. Let, yeah. It's kind of, you have to. This it's is kinda, what we yeah, got, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we got. And we love you, by the way. But Thank this you. is what we got. Yeah. He's not irreplaceable, though. And I, and I question whether or not the Nuggets, the way they're currently constructed, is, is necessarily sustainable moving forward in, in, in the regard that Jokic and Murray played a lot of minutes in the playoffs consistently over 40 a night. You had an eight-man rotation because you didn't have much of a bench because you butchered the deadline. But those eight guys, including KCP and Bruce Brown, you picked up in the offseason, came through for you in a really, really big way and at the end of the day proved to be all you needed. I just don't know that you can keep going down that road. I think eventually as – plus – Plus, and this doesn't get brought up enough, but the fact that the Nuggets made it through the playoffs completely healthy was a bit of a godsend. I mean, I, I that, that was yeah, it was a Not huge a godsend. It's a, a bit huge of a miracle. Part of the game, right? It's huge availability. And again, you talk about what happened to Milwaukee. You talk about what happened with even the New York Knicks. Right? Availability is a huge part of athletics and success. So don't downplay that at all. Um, I don't think you're wrong in terms of him not being replaceable. I do think. Uh, their sustainability in their philosophy is something that uh, can have some continued su- success. I think, uh, is it Peyton Watson? Or yeah. Part, I, yeah. I, I think there might be some optimism there. That, oh, there definitely you, is. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. For, for, for some fill-in work there. And, sure. Uh, I just meant more, more from the load-sharing perspective in the playoffs. How much do you have to carry throughout these? Because I think in the regular season, we're going to see the Nuggets take a different approach. I think there's going to be a little bit more load management. I don't know necessarily that they're going to push for the number one overall seed. Although in basketball, home court makes all the difference in the world, having to start here in Denver at altitude. So the other part you have to consider is about Michael Porter Jr. and Jabal Murray and whether or not those guys are going to be able to hold up. I mean, I think the, the smart money would be on, at, at a certain point, somebody's got to flare up. I would I don't want to see that, but look at what they've dealt with. They all miss time. Aaron Gordon missed time this year. So you've got to – and you can be mad from a fan base standpoint about the load management conversation, but the truth is it's smart basketball. I think the only thing that can help you deal with that in the February, March, April time is if you get off to a great start in November, December, and January, right? You you can't have one of those, oh, it's only December conversations. No, we, we've got to stack these. Right, so that as we yeah. start to come down the stretch, we can do what we did in April of last year. Getting back to the Nuggets here, come up in a, a little bit later, but to swing back around to Ryan Johansson, the Avs are apparently planning on this guy being their second line center, so he's their cadre replacement this year. Last yeah, year we I'm entered. Not this, excited? No, I'm not. But uh, again, <laughs> we'll we'll see how it plays out. I think he is a, a smart player, a good guy, a good fit in the locker room, and certainly they can use him to their advantage in a lot of situations. It just remains to be seen how it's going to be how it's going to play out. Is it going to be a three C playing up at two C again? Look at how far that got them this year. I understand that the cap is what it is right now, but there are other options on the market. There just are, and they ate some of the cap space that they could have used to potentially go grab one of those guys. But again, there's a lot of holes to fill. So I think from an organizational perspective, you look at this and you say relatively low risk, although he is coming off of major surgery. You're adding another big power forward to the second line along with Nachushkin. So now you got two guys who not, all, who not only have uh, histories of foot injuries, but you know you got question marks heading into this season about them. 
And I don't know if he's necessarily the dynamic driver at five on five that they're going to need to be able to set up for his teammates, create plays. Like especially that was that that's what they need in this system. It can't be the one trick pony show. McKinnon and Rantanen after the All Star break combined for nearly forty percent of this team's goals. You've got to be able to spread it out more throughout your lineup. So if you can get contributions, that'd be great. But Ryan Johansson's only had one twenty goal season in the last eight years. Do you think there's an internal overconfidence? Um, in their existing roster, because as I said, I think it's the other way. You think? I think it's the okay. other way. I think they're not confident in what they have. I I think that they believe because Landis Cog's going to miss this year, they don't have what it takes anyway. So why leverage? Why over leverage to be all in when we don't believe in what we have? Bednar essentially told us at the trade deadline last year that they had learned lessons in the past about just not being good enough, and he in not so many words, said that that's pretty much how they feel about this team. But, hey, let's see how it goes. I kind of think it's the same way. I have to be honest. Now, we'll see what else they do because they're not done yet. The draft is coming up this week. They've got about, I think, almost $9 million more in cap space to use. Cool. Well, we'll I see. I appreciate the honesty. Now, that doesn't sell tickets. but No, they don't need it. They're probably, already sold yeah. out every night. But, the, but if you listen to everybody else in this town, buddy, it, we're, we might as well throw a parade already. Like we're, we're a little, we're a little high and mighty based upon recent success. When you look at the roster itself, they've got a first line, they've got a two guys in a patchwork second line right now. One of them coming off a major off ice incident that drew national attention. Also, a banged up season in the second year of a new contract, which again I advocated for, have no problem with. But you also have this guy now coming off of a major injury over the age of thirty. Well. It, I, I, and then you don't have a third line. And then you don't have a fourth line. Well, and it, but here's the problem. Because on its face, I, I think you're right, right? Because as you run the names down, McKinnon, McCarr, uh, Nichushkin, Rantanen, there's some got-to-get-it-togetherness in there, but it doesn't sound bad when I start to rattle them off. Now, once I get to four, five, six, seven, eight, right, that's when you start to say who, what, how, those I don't, kind of things. I, I don't question how damn good this core is. It's the best young core in the league. It's one of the best cores, in my opinion, ever assembled. You got two of the top five players in the world in it and probably three of the top 15. You know, and then you had Landeskog and Devon Taves, who were probably two of the most underrated players. The problem is you don't have Landeskog this year. The problem is you still got to figure out how much money you're paying Byram this year. Are you going to finally move Gerard to clear that money out to get some more space? You've been wanting that so bad. Man, it doesn't make sense. It's just wasted value if he's a third-pair defenseman making $5 million and you're cash-strapped as it is and you have no forwards. Like, like at a certain point, I'm just asking for them to be bold. So I just, just be a little bold with the window. Long, long story short, the co- the conversation has nuance. Yeah, right? a hundred percent, and it's not black and white. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, if it goes well, I think you have a person in Ryan Johansson who can get in front of the net, affect what you do on the power play, win a lot of offensive zone faceoffs because he had a 59 percent faceoff win percentage last year, which is far and away the best that anyone would have had on the Avs roster. Look, we'll see how it plays out. I think there are some positives to it. But I just don't see this move getting you closer to your ultimate goal, which is winning another championship. Yeah, it's no different than the Nuggets. You have to have some luck along the way, and part of that is health, right? Johansson can give you that on a every three- or four-week basis, but everybody else has to be healthy and playing at their best. Yeah, 
And again, this is a, this is a player who I think at three C I would I would really been in love with. At two C, I'm just unimpressed. Okay. I'm just unimpressed, and I understand the restrictions they have. And it's also okay to be skeptical because there are a lot of things to be skeptical about with this situation. It's early. It's early, man. And there's a lot more that they have to accomplish this offseason. When we come back, though, there's some of those rust numbers. But I actually have a few texts here on the text line. If you want to chime in, we're having a little time with the RamosLaw.com text line up next. It's Matt Smith and Kyle Reese on your Sunday morning on Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan. On the Ramoslaw.com text line. Maybe most people consider the Rockies as just a hobby from NoCo Dan. Thanks for chiming in, Dan. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the healthiest way to do it. If you have any real emotional attachment to the Rockies at this point, I feel really bad. Those are the people I really feel bad for. Yeah, but usually your hobbies you have some level of control over. You know what I mean? Like, well, if I wanted to put together. Of, everybody's vices are different. Yeah, what can I say? If I wanted to get model planes, I can at least pick the one I want to put together. <laughs> this one from John in Netherlands. The Momforts are an embarrassment to the state of Colorado. Momforts must go. He said it. I did. Yeah, well, I, I'll say it. Yeah. I agree. Uh, we were talking about the draft grades for the for the Denver Nuggets because the NBA draft was on Thursday and Denver came away with three with three prospects, but they weren't graded very highly by any of these national outlets. But of course they weren't. They were drafted at twenty nine, thirty two, and thirty seven. It's tough to get an A grade when you're at the bottom of the barrel. Right. It's not an easy thing to do. Look, man, it's it's, it's a volume deal, right? And it's very similar to the circumstance that Jamal Murray came in. He came in with Malik Beasley, Peter Corneli, and um, uh, Juancho Gomez. Yeah. So, you know, and you got one. You hit out one out of four. Not Dante Gomez. Juancho Hernan Gomez. No, he, 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 all he his, get both of his wheels work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Man, just taking shots. Uh, this on, on the Ramoslaw.com text line, I bet the year they drafted Jokic, their draft grade was a C. In 2014. That was oh, was yeah. that the Moutier draft class? That was Moutier's draft class, oh, right? Yeah. If not worse. <laughs> no, I, no. Wasn't that, wasn't that no. the prime you guy? <laughs> Someone says, what about these three players for the Avs? Athanasiu from Chicago, Barbashev, Vegas, Zegers, Anaheim, one or all three. Speak to that a little bit. Uh, I, I mean, if you, Anaheim would never let Trevor Zegers walk. Otherwise, absolutely would love to see it, although he doesn't play any defense. Athanasiu, I think he's. I think he just already re-upped in Chicago, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And Barbashev's going to have a ton of suitors from around the league. He was in St. Louis, then in Vegas. I just don't think any of those three guys are going to be either targets or options for them. But we'll see what happens. I mean, we've got a week and a half here, and we should figure out, for the most part, the bulk of this roster. Uh, here's another text. I listen, to you, I listen to your show from Nebraska, South Dakota border, moved from Colorado three years ago. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it, buddy. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Anybody else listening outside of the state, man, I'm, I'm surprised at how many do that. How about, cool. how about this one? Momforts are horrendous. Probably time for Bud to get the axe, and let's just move on. Is it? Is it even? What? What? What can Bud Black do? Is uh, I know Bud Black's, you know, kind of got a free pass because we have this assumption that it's like, well, you know, you give him this lump of coal, it's hard to turn it into a diamond. But at the same time, should someone be held accountable for the fact that the Rockies lost in such a embarrassing fashion, or does it even matter? 
Yeah, it, it it's not him. But when you have a shellacking like that, this is a 24-run loss, right? Your players are uninspired. Uh, and ultimately, that is the job of the coach, the manager, or whatever, is to inspire his players. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see him be the man that bears the brunt of that. Uh, but it ain't his fault. He hasn't shopped for the groceries. Mm. And as Mike Evans always likes to say, not much changes at Stan, Pat, and Blake. Ooh. Yeah. Because that's what it is. The poetic Mike Evans. I know. He's just a... Uh, I mean, he's, you know the you know in the olden times there were bards who would go around from town to town and share tales and regale and stories? That's That's kind of who I associate Mike Evans and would equate Mike Evans to. If he were alive... In like the 1500s, he'd be a bard, like B A R D. Yeah, B A R D. Just, just, just absolutely slamming flagons of ale, and hey, going man. around telling telling the country you tales. Stop firing these old shots, man. You said <laughs> 1500s, olden times. I didn't say he's from the 1500s. I said no, that's the job he'd no, have. No, but you would never say that about yourself. You want to know what you are from the olden times? All right, no, 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 I, there. I got a few guesses. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee they're badass, all of them. By the way, uh, you remember we talked last week about the kid Ellie De La Cruz who plays for the Cincinnati Reds? I don't remember that. Okay, so he's the number, yeah, well, you don't have to remind me. He's the number one prospect in all of baseball and got called up about a week and a half ago. This kid is the real deal, Schlemiel. This kid is no joke, like a five-tool player. I've never seen anybody run the bases like him. The other night... In his first 15 games in the MLB, he hit for the cycle. He hit for the cycle. It was the first time a Reds player had done it since, I want to say, 1982, and he was the youngest player in the MLB to do it since 79. We haven't seen anything like this. This kid, I mean, obviously you got Shohei Otani, so let's understand the conversation that we're having, but I cannot wait to see what this kid develops into. He's injected life. The, the Reds are selling out baseball games. Yeah. Like, the, what? That, that's it's Cincinnati. That's the problem. He plays for the Reds. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. I mean, we know Shohei's name, and he plays for the Angels, and they've been awful for a while. But the Reds? The Reds haven't been relevant in a while, man. And you're talking about a team who's now leading the NL Central, a division that is absolutely just horrendous. What do you want to bet they'll both be Yankees in five years? Shohei might be a Yankee this year, although I don't think they're going to even pull that that trigger on a deal for Shohei because Aaron Judge is out. Aaron Judge and, and... yeah, Brian. Um, I think it was Cashman the other day. What are you going to wait for him to get cheaper? Well, no, it's not that. Okay. I just don't know that they're actually. They feel like they have a team that can compete. Okay. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. It's the Yankees. They'd always make a move like that. And the truth is, is if you have the opportunity to acquire Shohei Otani in a market like New York, move move, move mountains to do that. Are you kidding me? What he brings to a franchise, Mike Evans, someone on their text line says, Mike Evans is a bard. He says, that's hilarious and so true at the same time. Thanks for making me laugh this morning, Stephen, for Frederick. See, Stephen understands. Mike, you know, see, the bard wears the vest, and he'd have the open vest, maybe a little bit of the belly showing, and he's all, and he's jolly because Mike Evans is a jolly guy. Yeah. And, it, it, and Mike has lost a lot of weight, so it's not the belly anymore. He's just still got that jolly. He's lost the weight, but not the attitude. You, Does that make sense? You were ahead before you won, read the text? Uh, I'm still ahead. Montford yeah. suck. They've never cared about the team ever. Their kids owning the team is even more depressing. That's kind of what we think is going to happen. They're not going to sell. They're going to be curmudgeons about it, and then they're going to hand it over to Sterling and the children. Sterling, by the way, the 30-year-old head pro scout for the Rockies. <laughs> because if you fire somebody, what's wrong with just 
walking down the hall and finding his replacement, right? All right, so let's get back to Russell Wilson. I got a few numbers here that I want to figure out what story these tell, and these are from last year. This is obviously in an effort, Kyle, to define the baseline of expectation for improvement this season for the Broncos, but moreover for Russell Wilson. Because you and I had this discussion a little bit earlier this morning about Russ and what he brings to the table and certainly what he brought to the table in 2022. The blame is not exclusive. It was both on Nathaniel Hackett, both on Russell Wilson, and a lot of it was just the overall dysfunction. But I want to read a few of these numbers and I want to have you tell me what story they tell, okay? Shoot. Number one in deep ball attempts in 2022 with 87. He had in he was 18th in the league in completion percentage. So he's throwing the most deep balls, passes of 20 yards or more, but he's only got an, uh, about a middle-of-the-road completion percentage, okay? And he's 28th in the league in deep ball accuracy. You get anything from that? It's okay if you don't, because there's more to this story that we're about to tell. There's a lot of thoughts. So, throws the ball a lot deep, isn't very accurate. 31 overall, 31st overall in play action completion percentage. So, 31st in the league with 32 teams, and he's completing 52% of his play action passes. How about those? We'll start there. Okay. Deep balls, most in the league, not very accurate, but it makes sense because of play action, not very accurate. What story does that tell? Um, your running game stinks to me, right? And, and and that, to me, is the entire Russell Wilson conversation when you can zoom out, right? What does the supporting cast bring to the table? How do receivers turn five into 50? How do uh, running backs uh, fare in the third quarter? Those kind of things. So when you don't have a... Uh, a high completion percentage or a high effective rate in the play action game is because your running game stinks because no one is threatened by it, mm. right? Because I, I don't have to bring a safety down in the box to account for it. I, my linebackers and my front four or front three are good enough to stop your running game. And that, believe it or not, impacts your deep ball because you don't get the matchups. You can get safeties playing over the top. You can get shells, those kind of things. I, I bet you if we looked at Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, we'd have a completely different story to tell. Well, why? Because the play-action game with the running game that they had off of the zone game that they run is very effective. And on top of that, there's so much space between Jamar Chase and the next defender, right? He could punt the ball to him and still have success. So there's a whole lot of things that go into that that aren't necessarily Russell Wilson's fault, but it falls in his lap nonetheless. I think it also harkens back to the game script number as well. And we talked about that in a previous segment, Yeah, that the Broncos were 26th in the NFL in game script, which is the average point differential at any point in the game throughout the course of the season, the Broncos were negative 3.36, which means, on average, the Broncos were trailing by more than a field goal. And what changes when you trail by more than a field goal? How you how you approach the game. You said they were first in deep balls thrown. First in deep ball attempts with 87. Go. Okay. 18th in deep ball That's completion huge. percentage, but 28th in deep ball accuracy. So that includes targets, catchable balls, and it includes, first of all, Plays thrown from a clean po- from a clean pocket, and that's the next place I want to go with this because not only does deep ball accuracy have to do with receivers, play calling, being on the same page, all those great things that you just said. It also has to, in running game. It all ha- it also has to deal with your protection. Russell Ru- Russell 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 was sixth. <laughs> Russell was sixth in the NFL in pressured throws last year with 105. Sixth. 
That means he's constantly under pressure. 105 of his throws last year were under pressure. And that's what the damn play-action game is for. He was fifth in the NFL in danger plays, which I know might sound cool, dangerous, but it's actually not. They had 36 of them. And danger plays are defined as any play where a quarterback took an unnecessary risk that could have been a turnover, which harkens back to the game script because when you're trailing, you're pressing. So you're trying to make things happen. And if you're pressing, you're going to go deep. So a lot of this tells me you've got desperation offense taking place. I don't like that danger play step. But but either way, I, I think you're on to something, especially when you dive into these things, right? You brought up a great point. They're forcing it, right? With 87 deep balls, let's do the math. What is that, five, somewhere around four or five a game or something like that? Um, and to me, in the NFL... A deep ball is just like a three-point percentage, right? What Man, if you're shooting 37 38% in the NBA from, from beyond the arc, you're doing really well. Steph Curry, by the way, from a career standpoint, has only completed 42% of the three-point shots that he's taken, and he's the best to ever do it, right? So a deep ball is a very low-percentage ball as it is, so you've got to be able to scheme it. Um, and one, things I wrote, one of the things I wrote down when you were going through that is this lends to a lot of predictability, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You want to know another number? Go ahead. Russell had 18 passes batted down last year. His career previous high was eight. Predictability, Kyle. Defenses know what's coming. You're able to get into the right sets. You're able to line up appropriately. You're able to understand where the action of the play is going to move so you can be there and be ready for it. That's a schematic issue, too. Oh, God. It's primarily a schematic and, issue. And, and you know whose lap that falls in? Nathaniel Hackett. Of course. Right. Of course it does. So if you didn't like the danger play stat, how about number four in interceptable passes with 31? Trade them out. Fifth in danger plays with 36. Anytime a quarterback takes an unnecessary risk that could have resulted in a turnover, 31st in interceptable passes with 31. Interceptable passes defined by what? Double coverage, balls that guys dropped, et cetera, those kind of things. Absolutely. Okay. Defenders in the vicinity. Less than one, tar- one, less than one yard of Target separation. Okay. So right now we've got a desperate offense who's playing from behind, who's trying to make up a deficit quickly because they're going deep because they can't, they've got no short passing game. We understand that. I mean, we have eyes that just tell us that. All right. So here's some more numbers. Okay. Russell was 20th in the NFL in red zone completion percentage, but he was also 21st in the NFL in clean pocket completion percentage. 21st. So that means when Russ is even get even when Russ is getting a clean pocket, he's still a bottom half of the league passer as it relates to last year. But it makes sense, Kyle, because when you're used to being under pressure as much as Russell was, whether it's your own fault or the offensive lines, and we know he was under pressure. He was sixth in the NFL with pressure throws, 105 of them. What did I tell you in the first conversation? He doesn't trust it, right? I don't trust what's going on around me. I don't trust the play that was called. I don't trust the person calling them. There's nothing about this that I feel comfortable with. So there is no rhythm. There mm. is no timing. Those things are all, all those things come with confidence. Okay. Shoot. Keep going. But go ahead. How many, ga- how many games is all of this worth? Right? So the Broncos finished what? Five and 12 last year? Five and 12. Right? And they were four and nine in one score games. So does that help you win the indie game? Mm-hmm. I think so. Oh, 100%. Right. You can find three wins. Easy. Yeah. Easy. No, n- n- before before you even it's take the field. win the Baltimore game. Yes. My goodness. Of course. All right, so let's talk about the guys he's throwing them to, okay? The Broncos last year were 43rd in receiver target separation, just under 
two yards per separation per target. 26th in yards after catch per target. Eighth in dropped passes with 30. So you've got receivers who aren't getting open. And they're getting open uh, among the worst teams in the NFL. And they're dropping balls when they're open. Eighth most in the league. 30. Yeah. Wide receiver coach had to go. Yeah. Yeah, he did. There was so many people going, oh, they got rid of Zach Azani. Yes, they did. That group has been one of the perennially most underwhelming groups they have. Right? By a large margin. In my opinion, they haven't lived up to those expectations. It took Jerry Judy till the back end of year three to finally show us flashes of of consistency. Yeah, it, it's it's hard when he's not the one calling the plays, right? Of course because, it is. You know, Shermer before, it, it, you know, the, the, the predictability of that offense. Did you see great technique out of those guys last year? Ah. I remember Cortland rounding off a lot of routes, yeah. breaking them short. Going to have to stand by on that one. Okay, uh, that's no, fine. Yeah, that's fine. All right, so the Broncos were 35th in catchable pass rate, 74%. 30th in completion percentage versus man coverage, 52.8%. 13th versus zone coverage, 70%. What does that tell you? 13th, you said? 13th. 30th against man, 13th against zone. Means they're not winning your one on ones. Means you're not getting open. Well, there, there's that part, but I mean, thirteenth against zone, like you got to be able to hit the broad side of a bar, right? Come on, these guys finding space, and, and and so that does fall on Russ, right? Because that's an accuracy issue. That's I'm missing guys. Um, I'm missing wide open guys that were sitting right in front of me. I remember several occasions where he missed Greg Dulcich that was sitting down right between two backers, could have dumped it off, converted it, stayed on the field on third downs. That is a Russell Wilson issue to me. And there's another thing that I, I hate that happens in the NFL. They say guys don't get open. No, guys get wide open in the, in the NFL all the time. They just don't stay wide open in the mm. NFL, right? Mm. You so, got a small window. So the timing Right? right? That's what we're talking right, about. Right, 100%. You think that's going to improve this year? I'd like to think so. Oh, that is one thing that I can almost guarantee will improve is timing. There's no way with Sean Payton's offense that that doesn't look better this season. So, again, to your point, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's a very important distinction. It's not that they're not getting open. is They may be open, but they don't have as much separation as we see per the numbers. Only 1.89 yards per se- you know per target, which ranked 43rd. But, Kyle, the completion percentage, why is it that against man it's so much drastically different? Well, I mean, honestly, you know, the defensive. For one, I look at the Jets game in particular, right? Sauce Gardner, for one, got away with two or three defensive pass interference, but that's beside the point, right? But these are long, aggressive defenders, and when they're on your back, it's it's really tough to complete balls against them. So... You, you know, there, there's some elite-level play going on in some secondaries in the NFL, and I know the NFL doesn't get credit for it, but there are some guys that can flat-out defend. And when you put them in the play by throwing the ball late or throwing the ball off target, it's, it's, it's next to impossible, to be honest with you. So so there's that factor. Um, and, and, and two, you know, are these schemes or concepts that play to Russell's strengths, mm. right? Because you can, you can help a lot of guys out by doing, just calling what they do best. Here's another part of it. The game script number. 
You got a negative 3.36 game script, which is your average point yeah. differential of all times. You are behind. Of yeah. course you're seeing more zone coverage. Of course teams are letting you complete shorter Take throws. Take that four-yard completion. <laughs> Have that all day. Have it all day. But what this is telling me is that in high-leverage situations, you're not coming through. Which, again, I don't need the numbers to tell me that. I have eyes that watched last season. But when the numbers reflect it in this degree against man coverage, 52.8% versus man, you're 30th in the league? Yeah. That's not good. Well, and I'm glad That's that not, you Hold on. That ain't why you brought Russell Wilson. At all. At all. But I'm glad that you continue to root the conversation in this number that says they were down by an average of 3.6 points at any given time in the game. Because... There's things that you go into the game with on Wednesday. Mm. I want to do this. <laughs> and I guarantee one of them on every single football coach's list is run the ball effectively. Mm. Right? I want to get three and a half, four yards per clip. Right? But now I'm down 27 nothing to the right. Chiefs. Right. Now, hell, that is out yeah, the window. Exactly. Now I'm down, you know, nine to three against the Ravens on the road. Now I blew a lead against the Ravens, right? And now I've got to figure out how to how to get back in field goal range. I think that game had some weather involved in it too, if I remember. I don't know. I don't know if it was weather. I think it was just it, they rain on everyone's parade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, right? I, my my game plan that that I so masterfully blew, drew up on Wednesday is completely out the window. Mm. Completely out the window, and so yeah, you do get some of this erratic. And, and listen, don't don't think ask Chad Brown, right? Don't think it's above NFL coaches to draw it up in the dirt. Of course, not. <laughs> don't don't think that they're so smart and so prepared that they. Well, don't I don't know about Hackett, but maybe your typical NFL coaches. They'll do maybe it. Maybe Sean Payton. They'll do it. What I learned from all these numbers is essentially this: we went through all this through this entire exercise to get to this point. The Broncos were playing from behind, so they took more risks against more pressure because they had to. Receivers aren't necessarily winning, especially their one-on-ones, and you can't hit over the top. So what are you left with? Nothing. You're left with nothing. You're left with getting off the field on three and out probably more than any team last season. You're left with a 16.9 point per game average, which is the worst in the league. Essentially, Kyle, what you're left with at the end of the day is one of the worst offenses in football. So, what is my baseline of expectation this year for improvement? It's procedural. It's one-on-one. It's being on the same page. It's not getting down before you get the check, right? It's not getting down before you sit down at the restaurant. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not you're sitting down and, bam, here's your dinner. I didn't order that. Well, guess what? Like you're saying, here's what it is. How can you adapt and deal with it? Like you just said, no one's above drawing things up in the dirt. Well, maybe nobody's above it, but certain people aren't very good at it. And last year we saw that the Broncos were not very good at adapting on the fly. I do not believe that to be the case now. Not with Sean Payton. So the Broncos, um, you could say tied for 30th or 31st with the Texans last year in third down conversion percentage at mm. 3.9 per game. You're not going to get in the top 10 if you don't get five and a half per better or better. You're converting four third downs. How many times are you in third down? All uh, multiple times per drive. A game. If you're not a high high scoring, high striking, high flying offense, easy. All right, so let's shift to the defense now, okay? And we'll do that next. Denver Sports Day 104.3 The Fan presents Matt Smith and Kyle Reese. Quick shout out to Coach Prime who underwent successful surgery, emergency surgery, on Friday for another blood clot. 
Oh, man. The plot thickens, man. Mark, watch yourself. Oh, what? Watch yourself. Uh, no pun intended. We're talking about blood clots now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no pun intended. It's no joke sure. matter. For sure. I'm glad to hear everything went well for Coach Prime. And I, you know, I said this the other day. I can't imagine being that level of elite athlete and then having just the ability, you know, those are the, your, your basic faculties stripped away from you in the way he has and how you mentally deal with that speaks to someone's character that you can have that upbeat of an attitude and still want so much and want to be so active despite having limitations where you're not used to it. In fact, they weren't limitations. They were unbridled freedoms. So my heart goes out to him because he's a good man, good people. You're wishing for the best, obviously. Yeah. And obviously, we're gearing up for college football season, which is day by day getting here soon. We're going to be talking, not only will we talk Broncos training camp, we're going to talk bus training camp. Which, you know, we actually might be able done. to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you haven't, you haven't been able to do or haven't wanted to do in a long, long time. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. They are on the clock for sure. There's a uh, the Horn Frogs. They're up first, baby. Mm. With it, something to prove, by the way, too. That's interesting. Somebody says the floor for Russ should be 34 touchdowns, which is two per game, and 4,250 yards per game or for, for a season, which is 250 yards per game. That ain't crazy. No, that's not crazy. And again, if some of these, if your game script score, which is the average point differential throughout the entire game, throughout the entire season, is negative 3.36, then you're down by more than a field goal and you're always pressing and you're going up against pressure constantly in your face and you're not making the right reads because you don't trust what's happening. But I want to talk about the defense. We, we hit the offense. We have plenty of time this summer to get into more of what's going on offensively and what we expect to change here in 2023. Defensively, James and I went through an exercise, and we went through this exercise for the whole team, and we'll get to it here over the next few weeks. But what is your plan? You always hear eight weeks into a season, somebody gets hurt, things don't work out. Well, that was a really bad plan. You shouldn't have had that plan for this. So let's get out in front of it and be proactive instead of reactionary to it. So we went through the entire roster, every position group, and figured out, is this a good plan? Is this a bad plan? Is this a rough draft? Do they need to get better here? And in the process, in my opinion, I think we found some holes. And not only were the Broncos thin at edge, and we have talked about that ad nauseum. They addressed it with Frank Clark. But I think they're thin along the defensive line. If you look at the starters, you've got Zach Allen, who was brought in from Arizona, you got DJ Jones brought in last year from San Francisco. Both players I'm perfectly happy with. And then you've got your opposite edge, Jonathan Harris. You've got Matt Henningsen and Uazurike out of Louisville last year. So you've got two second-year guys who were fourth-round or later draft picks. And you've got Jonathan Harris, which... I'm not exactly sure where he was drafted now that I think about it, but it couldn't be very high. <laughs> Are they light? Uh, on, on paper, yes, right? And, and especially if you're, you know, grading potential off draft status, right? Um, well, it's more I, than I, that. I understand there's tug-in-cheek a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what you need is a rotation there. Right, and depending on the scheme, and I think this is really going to fall into the lap of Vance Joseph. You know, what are we doing up front? 
Are we going to have four hands in the ground? Are we going to have three hands in the ground? What's nice about Frank Clark is that he can be a fourth hand in the ground, even though you don't look at him as a traditional five tech or D end or those kind of players. So he can do that kind of thing for you and help you change fronts up. So you don't necessarily have to be as deep at the nose tackle or end or tackle position. You don't have to do those things because Frank Clark does have some versatility that he can help you out with. You think so? You I think do. he's going to be that guy? Right. Well, he's well, going to he's going to be a stopgap in that I'm, regard. I'm talking about sure. I'm talking about sheer alignment stuff here. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Jonathan so, Harris was undrafted, by the way. So an undrafted, a fourth round, and a fifth round draft know. pick. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because he wasn't. Yeah. Um, but no, this is just and and the, look, that's about creativity as well. So yeah, perhaps you are. No, do you have a Pro Bowler up there? Maybe one. Right, Zach Allen has the potential to be a Pro Bowl player. Mm, okay, keep going. Okay, I would say and DJ thinking, Jones more than more than Zach or, Allen. Yeah, either or. Right, yeah. one one and a half. Okay, fine with that. Right, I would say a half. Than that? I'd say you've got a half. It's, okay. if you if you ask me the over under, I would say over under a half, and the uh, over would be juiced to the nines. He'd have like two to one. Okay. So I'm fine with that. And and look, the blueprint says the exact opposite of what I'm trying to impress upon you here, right? Because the Eagles and the Chiefs had dudes up front mm. on both sides of the ball, right? Mm. So I understand why you're concerned about it. But, you know, can you be creative from a rotational standpoint enough to where you don't have to be a star-studded front? I think that Frank Clark and Randy Gregory obviously helping that. But that wasn't the question. Are they deep enough? No, are, no, no. The they, question was, thin? is it a good plan? Oh hell, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, because it's not. If, I, I know. know. <laughs> That's what I'm just saying. Is it? Is it? Is it? It's less. It's less about how thin they are, and more about is it a good plan and depth factors into that. Because I would say that heading into the season with the receiving core as is, good plan. You got plenty of depth. Yeah. Somebody goes down, you're you're just fine. Somebody goes down in your front seven. Not sure how fine you are. Yeah, but Matt, we we also know that plans are also also contingent on resources, right? Mm. What resource do you have at your disposal to make a better plan? Yeah, like you can restructure caps and you restructure contracts and create some space. Michael Brockers, he's a free agent. Would you rather see Michael Brockers there in that group? It'd be nice. You got to find some money. I think they've got like seven million. I want to say to spend right now. Would you rather keep that open for camp in case somebody gets hurt, or would you rather try and address an, a position that you feel you're a little oh, thin see, at? now you're asking complicated questions because now you're saying how does one plan affect the other? Well, yes. I'm just asking how you want to formulate the formulate this plan. Uh, well, Because really what I'm asking you is, is it a good plan? Because if it's a good plan, you don't do that, and you wait till camp, and you save that space, and then if somebody gets hurt, you add them there. I, I, if it's a bad plan, you probably address it right now. I think it's an okay plan, and I think that the addition of Frank Clark makes it, it, makes it okay. So it's an okay plan. It's an okay plan. So if something happens and we look back on it, it wouldn't be surprising to point With to our this and say, vision. Yeah. it wouldn't be surprising to point to this and say, ah, they probably should have known better, right? Because it's easy, in hindsight, eight weeks into the season to go, man, look at this tight end room. Not a great plan. But we can evaluate that right now. Yeah. I don't like this exercise. It's totally unfair. It's totally unfair. To who? You? Well, putting you on the spot? No, it's not. A, I, it, listen, it doesn't matter to me, right? Why I is it unfair? Listen. Well, be, be, listen, because we can't. We It's difficult to say that, okay, the tight end room is thin and the defensive front is thin. And to not 
understand that, hey, man, if I put an extra $3 million over here, I'm not going to have the money to fix this plan that you told me was terrible, too. Right. There, there's there's things that impact the other that I can't have. I, I can't have Pro the ability in every position. to fix everything. Yeah. Right. Like on the de- on the defense, I've always it's always been my philosophy. You got to have a pro bowler or a, a elite level player on all three levels, right? So I got to have a guy up front. I got to have a guy at linebacker. And they I don't have, have either of those two, right? They don't have so one up front. They don't have one at linebacker. Well, it, well, I mean, tell me who you think DJ Jones is. He is an above-average defensive tackle. Okay. he's uh, Excuse me. He's an above-average run-stopping defensive tackle. I'm fine with that guy. Yeah, me too. I'm right. more than fine with him. I'm great with him. Okay. He was one of the best pickups. Okay. But he's, I wouldn't say that he's on the precipice of a Pro Bowl. I mean, this is a guy who barely stayed healthy last year. Yeah. Knock on wood, he stays healthy this year. So you get to that point. And, you, and you, when you look back on great defenses, that's how they've been constructed. You look at the Ravens, any of those guys, they've had a dude on each level. Not all of them were dudes. But you had at least one or two on each level. Yeah. And again, I just think after going through that exercise with James, we determined that, that, that this team is thin in some spots. Sure. And and sure, you're not going to be able to have depth everywhere, and you're not going to be able to have stars everywhere. But I do think that there are some positions where here's the, here's the, here's the point. What's the ultimate goal here this season? Getting the playoffs, I'd say. Winning games. You're trying to win. Okay. So you you can never have too many good football players. So if you have no an doubt. opportunity to boost your roster, you take it. Right. My opinion. Fun show, Kyle. Let's do it again next what? week. How about that? All right. Sydney, thanks so much as always. Dan Jacobs, the judge. He's